0: you uh, have your Bible I want you to turn to Genesis 27. I know that sounds familiar because we read all of Genesis 27 Sunday um, and even got into Genesis 28 but I want to refresh your memory about uh, the story we talked about Sunday and there was the main main part of the story that we really uh, didn't discuss much and that was the blessing you know everything in Genesis 27 revolved around um, Jacob's desire for that blessing and Esau's desire for that blessing and then the result um, of the blessing or the result in Esau's life of not receiving uh, the blessing and so I, I want us to um Kind of go back, and uh, I'm not going to read chapter 27 again. I don't have time uh, tonight, but uh, you you remember the story? Let me just kind of paraphrase what happened. We already know that Jacob is the one. So, uh, God in chapter 12, verse 3 said to uh, Abraham that whoever blesses you, I'll bless; whoever curses you, I'll curse. That that was the blessing that Abraham passed to Isaac and that Isaac was to pass to Jacob because you remember when the babies were wrestling in the womb of Rebekah, she prayed God what's going on inside of me he said there's two nations in there um, fighting with each other and uh, one stronger than the other and then he says this that the older one will serve or be subject to the younger one which is which is so out of the ordinary because the oldest son would be the one who would, he had the birthright. He meant that he would get a double inheritance. It meant that he would receive the land and the, um, and the livelihood, the family business, all of that stuff. Um, and, and he would be the one who would carry the name for the family. But God had chosen Jacob. And you remember their names, Jacob and Esau. Esau was born first, he was hairy and red. Um, in fact, Esau means hairy. So they named Harry. Harry, all right, and uh, and and then they said um, that he's Edom. You remember that? And that was red. So he was red and hairy. And then Jacob, they named him Jacob because when Esau came out, Jacob was holding on to his heel. And Jacob literally means um, to to trip or to hold on to the heel or to to be the supplanter. In fact, that's what Esau called him in, in Genesis chapter 27, that you've always tripped me up. You did it back with my birthright when i sold you my birthright for the for the bowl of stew and you're doing it again you're taking the blessing uh, for me, but there was a lot of deception in chapter 27, not a lot of conversation going on. Uh, it, um, it, Isaac and Rebekah were not talking to each other, neither one of them were talking to the Lord. Um, Isaac was 137 years old. He calls his oldest son Esau, he was the favorite. Remember, he said, My son, he brought. Uh, 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 Esau, my son, into his room, and and he said, you go kill me some food. Take your your weapons, your bow, your quiver, go kill something, bring it to me, cook it, savory food for dad. You know dad likes the savory food. Bring it back, and I'll give you the blessing. And Rebecca was listening at the door, and she went and got her son, Jacob, and said, listen, do this. Go bring me uh, two lambs. I'll prepare them. You take him in and we're going to pretend you're Esau. We're going to put goat hair on you. We're going to put your brother's clothes on you. And you're going to go into your dad with the food so that your dad will give you the blessing rather than Esau. Now, what what Rebecca was doing... Um, was God's will anyway, right? God said Jacob would be the one. The younger or the older would would uh, serve the younger. Jacob was the younger, and so that was God's will anyway. And Rebecca justified those actions because that was God's word that He had already spoken in God's will, and so she she justified. The end by the means, all right? And so we see us doing that sometimes. And so uh, so that's exactly what happened. Jacob goes in, uh, deceives his father, and and uh, Isaac blesses, gives Jacob the blessing, thinking he's Esau. Esau comes in just a little while later, and we hear an alpha male weeping through the house, um, broken, broken. And he's, he's begging his daddy, don't you have another blessing for me? Don't you have one more blessing that you can give to me? And he said, no, I have, I've given everything to your younger brother, uh, Jacob. And so there's something significant that happened that we miss it. In our Western culture, um, in the way of of the will and the way of uh, inheritance and all of the things that we do with our family and passing things down to the next generation, we're disconnected from what's going on here. Um, But there is an importance in verbalizing to the children your approval, uh, your praise, and your love for them. There, there's a story. I, I remember these books used to be very, very popular. Um, y'all probably read them. They're little short stories inside. It was Chicken Soup for the Soul. Y'all remember those books? I had all of them. I loved them. This was the fourth. This came out of the fourth helping of Chicken Soup for the Soul. And uh, a guy by the name of Ted Kruger wrote this story. I want to read it to you. I hate reading stuff to you, but I want to read this to you. and uh, Because if, if I just tell it, I'll, I'll mess it up. He wrote this. He said, I have mem- many memories about my father and about growing up with him in our apartment next to the elevated train tracks. For years, we listened to the roar of the train as it passed by. Late at night, my father waited alone for the train that took him to a factory where he worked the night shift. On this particular night, I waited with him in the dark to say goodbye. His face was grim. His youngest son had been drafted. I would be sworn in at six in the, next, the next morning while he was at the factory. My father didn't want them to take his child, only 19 years old, to fight a war in Europe. He placed his hands on my shoulders and said, You be careful, and if you need anything, write to me and I'll see that you get it suddenly he heard the roar of the approaching train he held me tightly in his arms and gently kissed me on the cheek with tear-filled eyes he murmured I love you my son then the train arrived the doors closed him inside and he disappeared into the night and I left for boot camp one month later at age 46 my father died I'm 76 as I sit and I write this. I once heard Pete Hamill, the New York reporter, say that memories are man's greatest inheritance. And I have to agree. I've lived through four invasions in World War II. I've had a life full of all kinds of experiences. But the only memory that lingers is the night my dad said, I love you, my son. Oh, the incredible power of a father's blessing. Who can fathom the power of a parent's blessing? A wonderful, empowering inheritance indeed. Yet it's so easy to fail to pass on this much-needed blessing to our children. Man, isn't that powerful? You know, and, and I believe this. I believe there are men and ladies in this room or watching on Facebook and who you are right now is a direct impact to whether or not your parents blessed you or held that blessing from you. Because holding that blessing, reserving that blessing can literally cripple us for relationships in our future our marriage our relationship with our own children our grandchildren or it can thrust you into the future that will impact positively uh, those around you for years to come it, it's huge and and we just we talked about all of the details and the people in chapter 27 and what we missed was probably the most significant thing the importance of that blessing that that Isaac um, gave to Jacob and that Esau longed to have, and I want I want you, if you got a, a pen and paper, I want you to jot a couple of things down. I want you I want us to talk to about the importance of the the blessing. Um, obviously, in uh, Jacob's life, it was very very important to him, and we'll look a little bit later how it thrust him into his future. Jacob was. Um, it kind of started out rocky, um, but Jacob is the one that we see over and over and over again in the Old Testament and the New, Jesus even saying it himself, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And while he started out shaky as the supplanter, the one who struggled um, with interpersonal uh, relationships with his family, specifically his Brother Esau, we see Jacob making some huge strides in his faith and a lot of them came after chapter 27. Now, the other side of that corner is Esau. We, we see how important that blessing was to Esau and not receiving it over and over, twice, two different times. It says that he, he wept bitterly, that he cried loudly and he kept begging his father, don't you have something for me don't you have a blessing for me as well and we see how important that blessing is it was important to Jacob it was important to Esau and I'm telling you it's important to you it's important to your own life um, emotionally um, how you deal with uh, other people in your life and that blessing is important um, it's important to everyone. And um, I, I want us to think about um, Jesus showing us, modeling for us, um, his interaction with, um, with other people and how important Jesus took um, blessing other people. There, we can call them ingredients, maybe, of a blessing. If you've got your Bible, turn to Mark chapter 10. I want you to see this is a very familiar story to us. Um, In fact, Becca uh, shared this um, Monday, I believe, uh, to our children at um, chapel for preschool uh, in Mark chapter 10 and verse 13. Look look, look at the ingredients here when Jesus interacts with children, with the next generation, with the the youngest um, among them. It says they brought little children, verse 13, Mark 10. They brought little children to him. Now, Jesus wasn't a parent. Uh, Jesus wasn't a father. Jesus was never married. He didn't have children of his own. But he models for us in this story the importance of, uh, of the parent, the importance of an adult in a child's life. Look at what it says. They brought little children to him that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. When Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and he said to them, let the little children come to me. Do not forbid them for of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. Now the message is, is powerful, but but what he did, look look at verse 16. And he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. So so Jesus is showing us the significance of the blessing. He gives us some ingredients of the blessing. We we've seen this in Jesus' life. Um, quality time that he spends with the children just him and these little ones uh, the, the ones that a lot of times we're inconvenienced by their silliness we're inconvenienced by uh, their play their energy we're inconvenienced by the Jesus uh, even the disciples the, the, the disciples were acting just like we do right get, get these kids away from here they're bothering him don't act silly around him Why you, you know, get, get, get them out of here and what does Jesus say no 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 don't don't Suffer not the little children. That was King James. Bring let them let them hear. Let them come to me. And what does he do? He he purposefully lays his hands on them, and he's blessing them individually. He's spending quality time with each of them. And I heard somebody say this one time: How do you spell love? It's t-i-m-e right the only way that we can love someone is to spend time with them now said I'm not bashing anyone because Andrew and I are guilty of this ourselves um but but as our children were younger um it is often easier to get things done if we could occupy them right send them away Right? Put a game system in front of them. Put a, a video on in front of them. I remember when Jed was little, it was the wiggles. We wore the wiggles out at our house because the wiggles gave us a time out, right? Mom and dad could have a break, we could get them away from us. But Jesus models this for us. Uh, the blessing comes from the interaction and the quality time that you spend with, um, with other people. But watch this jesus is the manliest man you'll ever know now i know that we think that jesus was um we kind of in our mind have him as a, kind of a, a light maybe even a kind of a, a softy right because it says that he was meek and he was mild um But I want you to know something. There's the the strongest man in here, the strongest man that you know could never have endured what the Lord Jesus endured. And so while his emotion he came across as mild and loving, and in his eyes you could see in his eyes a love that you would never have seen in any other eyes. But yet he was so strong that he endured the pain and the suffering of the cross. And and he did it to show us how much he loved us. And so while we think that Jesus may have been a softy, that Jesus was a man's man. He was a carpenter. I mean, he was strong physically. He, he, uh, he, he, he could handle heavy objects. When I say carpenter, he didn't build tables. He was a tecton. He, he worked with stones. He was a mason, literally. He and Joseph were tectons, is the Greek word. And so th- to be able to move those big stones around, to chisel them away, to set them in place... These were men that were physically strong. And so when you see, see the story in Mark chapter 10, I don't want you to see softy side of Jesus uh, gathering up the children. I want you to see this manly man who could endure the, the pain and the suffering of uh, the scourging and the cross, letting children sit in his lap, loving them um spending time with them literally having physical contact with them and that that was big to him do you remember in matthew chapter 8 he just got finished preaching the sermon on the mount and um in in chapters 5 6 and 7 he just gives those those three chapters is the best sermon that has ever been preached and it's practical living for how we're to live as kingdom citizens, citizens of another world here on this earth. That's what sermon, the Sermon on the mount's all about. How do we live life here um, though, though we're citizens of another world? And then he gets done in chapter 7. It closes his sermon and he walks down off the mountain and the very first person that he comes in contact with in the very first verses of Matthew chapter 8 is a man with leprosy. And it's almost as if he steps out from behind a tree or a rock or something, and he is there in Jesus' face. Now, he was breaking every law, uh, Jewish custom law, you had, to stay, uh, you had to stay a long distance away from 50 feet um, if, if you were, uh, if you were uh, upwind of somebody, 100 feet if you were downwind of somebody with leprosy. You could not approach them, and yet this man knew that the only hope he had was in Jesus, and he hides and he waits until Jesus gets close because he needs Jesus to see him, and he steps out from behind whatever's hiding him, and he's standing right in Jesus' face. And you can imagine, if the disciples in Mark chapter 10 didn't want children around him, what did they say in, Mark, in Matthew chapter 8 when the lepers showed up? That this guy, when he realized he had leprosy, he had been ostracized and removed from everybody that meant anything in his life. He, if he was married, he was, he was removed from his wife. He, and who knows how long that, that it could have been months that he had been separated outside the walls, the gates of the city in a colony for men who had leprosy. It was considered a spiritual curse to have leprosy. And so they removed him. They removed him from their family. Well, watch this. When you're removed from everybody that loves you, what are you removed from? How long had it been since this guy had seen love and had felt it. How long has it been since, since somebody had put their hand on his shoulder? How long had it been since somebody held him and hugged him? The very thing he longed for was the very thing Jesus gave him in Matthew chapter 8. The Bible says that when he stepped out in Matthew chapter 8, he said, he said Master, if you want, you can heal me. And do you know what Jesus did? He reached out and he touched him. Broke every law, Jewish law, he could break. He reached out and he touched him, and he healed him. And that moment, you ought to read that story in Matthew 8. That touch was incredible. That touch, those hands were the same hands who, who held those little children In Mark chapter 10, and the physical touch was something that was important. Jesus realized the importance of physical touch, but then he blessed them. He spoke words over them, positive words. We don't know what they said, what he said. We, We see the blessing in Genesis chapter 27 that Isaac spoke over Jacob. They were prophetic words. They were positive words. Uh, they were words of an encouragement, um, spoke about his strength, spoke about his future. He spoke life in to Jacob. There are people in this room, you never heard your dad say, I love you. You never heard your parents say "I'm sorry," and 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 a lot of it because of that, it's made it really difficult. I sat at dinner on Monday night with a guy, um, and he was sharing the same thing. It was crazy. He's talked about the same things that he had interaction with a guy, and and he said, I, "I I never heard my dad say he loved me," and and it, it has crippled me because I can't say I love my children. The guy he was talking about was Dale Earnhardt. He said, one of my best friends was Dale Earnhardt and, uh, and, he, and Dale Earnhardt, this, this friend of mine, Hank Parker, he was on the phone with his son in front of Dale Earnhardt and, and he said, buddy, I love you. And I'll talk to you later. And he hung up the phone and Dale Earnhardt said, Hank, how can, how do you, how can you do that? How do you say I love you? I've never, I've never been able to tell my son I love him. And I do. But I just can't say it because it was never said to me. What a powerful example of, of what we're seeing in Genesis chapter 27, the, the blessing." Now now watch what's cool about this. Even though you may have been crippled, you never have heard it, it doesn't mean you can't pass it, right? When Christ changes us and we experience the overwhelming grace and the love that Christ has for us, we can break that and we can pass that blessing on to those, because I promise you, there are people in your life that they, are, they need to hear the blessing from you. I'm sorry is a big phrase. Um, it literally, and we've talked about this in, in recent weeks, how that phrase heals our children and even our grandchildren from past pain. And propels them into their best future when they realize you know what we weren't perfect in raising you and owning the blunders and owning the things that we made mistakes on and saying you know what I love you and I'm sorry I wasn't the best mother I'm sorry I wasn't the best father It literally heals, those words heal and propels your children into their best future that God has for them. Now, there's evidence of the blessing. We see it in Jacob's life. You remember what mom said when he left, Esau comes in. Um, and, uh, and the conniving and the deceiving continued, right? So Rebecca meets with Jacob and uh, she says, uh, Esau uh, meets with uh, Isaac and Isaac says, I don't have a blessing anymore. Uh, you're going to serve your brother. Uh, you're going to live by the sword. He, he really, uh, rather than blessing him, kind of curses his future. And, uh, and Esau at that moment said, the only thing that comforts me is the thought that one day I'll take the life of my brother. I won't do it while my dad's alive, but when my dad dies, after we bury him, I will kill Jacob. And his mother gets word of that and Rebekah goes to Jacob and says, Jacob, you have to go. You have to go to my brother Laban's house and you have to flee because Esau's going to kill you. And what does Jacob do? Now, some of us would say out of fear he did this, But what Jacob did is he left, um, and he was obedient. Uh, Isaac calls him in and says the exact same thing. Son, go. It's time to go. Go marry someone from your mother's family um, and, uh, and, and wait. And so Jacob goes. Now, leaving may have been in fear, but staying was in faith because Jacob stayed 20 years with Laban. He worked for him. Laban is a, is a miserable person. And we're going to see that. And uh, um, we're, we're going to see that he worked for Laban. Um, he literally became a slave of his uncle. And leaving and going to Laban, he may have left for fear that Esau was going to kill him. But staying with Laban for 20 years was an act of faith and obedience. And, and, and because of the blessing... Jacob responded with obedience. So, evidence of that blessing was obedience. Now, I want to read it. We didn't read this uh, Sunday. It's in chapter 28. Look at verse 6. We stopped at verse 5. Look at verse 6. So, after Isaac, uh, or after uh, Jacob left and he went to Laban, his dad had blessed him again in verse 3 and 4, of chapter 28, and he leaves and he goes to Paddan Aram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. Then in verse 6 it says this, that Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padan Aram to take himself a wife from there, and that as he blessed him, he gave him a charge saying, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan, and that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and had gone to Padon Aram. Also Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan did not please his father Isaac. So Esau went to Ishmael. All right. Laban was mom's brother. Ishmael was dad's brother, but Ishmael was dad's half-brother. You remember the story, right? We got Isaac, we got Ishmael, both of them sons of Abraham. Um, Isaac was the son of Abraham and Sarah in her old age. Ishmael was the son of Abraham and Hagar. Hagar was the Egyptian slave. Um, essentially, Ishmael was the son of his, uh, of, of Esau's grandfather's girlfriend, right? the mistress. And so to tick off dad and to be disobedient and rebellious, I'm not going to go to the people who are believers. That's where they sent J- Jacob to. They want him to, uh, to marry a wife Which is the second most important decision you'll ever make. First of all, it's who you're going to worship, and the next person, the next decision is who you're going to marry. And 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 Esau says, "I know that Mom and Dad would love for me not to marry a Canaanite, but to marry some lady, some girl in my mama's family line who has faith." But instead of that, I'm going to Ishmael, my grandfather's brother. I'm sorry, my grandfather's son my my uh, my dad's brother and i'm gonna marry someone from ishmael's family as an act of rebellion now that's exactly what it does but she's not his only wife it says in verse 9 so esau went to ishmael and took Mahaleth, the daughter of ishmael abraham's son the sister of nebajoth to be his wife in a addition to the wives he already had. And those were wives, ladies, girls from Canaan. And so every decision Esau made, he made in rebellion. And so we see the evidence of the blessing in Jacob's life. And we see the absence of the blessing in Esau's life. Now I'm not saying that every time the blessing is not received, the product is rebellion. But oftentimes, the product of not receiving the blessing is rebellion. And, uh, and so it just shows us in this story the importance of the blessing, the parental blessing of the children and the grandchildren. All right, so how do we deal with this? They said, Pastor, I didn't get the blessing from my parents. To be honest, I've lived in seasons of rebellion in my life because of that. In fact I always heard my brother was better or my sister was better than I was why can't you be more like them why can't you be smart like them why can't you behave like them why can't you act like them I lived under the shadow of a sibling or um, I was the black sheep Of the family, and because of that, all I heard was negative. It was never positive. It was never uh, words of encouragement. It was never uh, prophetic words of a of a healthy future. I never heard my parents say they were sorry. I never heard my my parents say they loved me. And to be honest with you, I've I've lived a life to living up to that um, a life of rebellion. And now I sit here tonight having been redeemed by Jesus and experiencing his great love. And what I have noticed in my own life is the person that I swore I would never be like. I'm just like him. You sat and you heard the negative things, and you promised yourself you'd never say those things to your own children. And yet you look back, and maybe you raised them just like you were raised. How do you right or wrong? How do you go back and bless children who are grown? How do you go back and and offer um, healing to help them bless your grandchildren? I can tell you this I don't know how to navigate all the dynamics of everyone's relationships but I do know this I'm sorry goes a long way and I love you is big and just like the story I shared with you um, the memory of the blessing of his father was that that lingered in his life when he was 76 isn't that amazing you and i have so much potential in our tongue and in our words to either bless or curse and uh and i tell you god would have us to bless why don't we bow our heads together i know we got a lot to think about and most of you some of you in this room probably didn't even like any of this so But it probably is exactly what we needed to hear. You know, as we pray tonight, I know a lot of times when we talk about this, it brings up a lot of emotions and feelings of things that you've tried to mask or hide or even cover up. Push it down. Pretend like it doesn't bother you. I can tell you this it doesn't make you weak to be broken or to hurt because you didn't receive the blessing I tell you you have a God in heaven a father in heaven who pours his richest blessings out on you and he has a plan and a future for your life that is filled with with blessing. You may look back on the yesterdays of your life and how you parented. And I think all of us get to a point where we think, man, I wish we would have done something differently. And unfortunately, we don't get to go back and, and change what we've done, but we certainly can right some of those wrongs. You and I don't have to go to the grave with the pride of having to be right. We can right those wrongs. And so if God's dealing with you in some of those things, I would just pray that God would give you the words and the opportunity uh, to heal um, Words that would encourage and words that would heal because it literally unleashes future potential and promise. God, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, for your love for us. Thank you, God, that um, all of us have had um, parents that weren't perfect, there's not a perfect parent. And God, well, we're, we can't live presently blaming our parents for our past. God, I pray, Father, that we can, we can live our future under your blessing and passing that blessing down to those who follow us. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the hope that we have in him. Thank you for the blessing that he pours out on our lives. And Lord, we ask it all in Jesus' name.